Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the weekend football betting recap. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. Look, I love college basketball. We're going to be talking a lot of college basketball, but there was something depressing about Saturday, right? Just with the one Army-Navy game. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to enjoy these college football games as uh, the ones that we have left. Um well, first of all, what's, what's going on, Con? How are you? I hear what you're saying because, like, this weekend for me, I actually got to go back home to Arkansas. I went to a basketball game. My family's like, who are you? We haven't seen you on a Saturday since August. Like, what are you doing outside of your bunker? Uh, what are you doing? Like, if you're not in your bunker, you're in Vegas. So, like, I miss college football. Only having one game and, and you know, struggling to get that over. And there's not 60-something other games for us to stress about. We can't move on to the next game because that was it. Yeah, I, I miss it a lot. I'm ready for bowls to get here. I don't care how bad the bowl is. I don't care how good the bowl is. I'm ready for college football to just take center stage for a good few weeks during the holidays here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. You had that conversation this weekend. I See, my family has to wait until April before <laughs> I come out of my bunker. Um, all right, well, let's, we're going to get to – we have an interview. Uh, I spoke with Brody Miller, LSU beat writer for The Athletic. Does a great job covering LSU. So we talked – about a myriad of topics, you know, from Joe Burrow to Grant Delpit to the LSU defensive issues. We're going to get to that in a second. We're also going to recap the NFL. We'll talk Monday Night Football as well, and then uh, we'll get you out of here. But first, should mention what happened in, in FCS. You, you know, if you bet the unders in FCS this weekend, good for you because all four games went under with relative ease. Uh, you had JMU win 17 nothing um, over UNI. Montana State won 24 10 over Austin P. Weber State beat Montana 17-10. And then North Dakota State, one of the more shocking scores, that Illinois State defense showed up. North Dakota State only won 9-3 at home. Um, and Illinois State had a shot to win it late, but they just couldn't get anything going on offense. So that where your FCS goes, what that sets up is Montana State at North Dakota State and Weber State at JMU. Both those games next Saturday. I was really impressed with JMU. I think they went really conservative. They completely shut yeah. down you and I. I don't know if Weber can go on the road here and and get this done. And, and same with Montana State. But, you know, North Dakota State the last two weeks has looked just more vulnerable than they have in years past. They were only up one in the third quarter against Nichols. Won this game 9-3. So we're going to be digging into those games. I did want to mention them. Do you have any thoughts on the FCS weekend? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to mention about the JMU because you're going to look at the JMU score and you're going to think, well, holy God, what's going on here? You just have to keep in mind that Northern Iowa's defense is amazing. One of the best in the FCS and they did their part. And as we handicapped on the pod, the, the offense was absolutely zero. And I think that once you had a two-possession lead, 
lead. You could just sit on the ball the rest of the time. There was no need to score 60 points in that kind of weather, and there's no need yeah. to, to outrun your players and risk injury. And I think really, I mean, before we even get to Thursday, just watching North Dakota State and that score and knowing that I, Illinois State was so one-dimensional that I think the best play that you could make right now before anybody else jumps on it is maybe a JMU future because they're not going to be lined as a dog in, in the national championship game after a few weeks of having a break. So uh, that's my kind of my takeaways. I wish I had listened to you more on the travel aspect. I got so wrapped up into what Austin P was doing with upsetting teams and looking so good that I ignored that it was six days of travel going to 4,000, you know, 4,700 feet. So, you know, they did try to make a comeback there at the end, I guess, maybe once I got some oxygen on the sidelines. But, uh, but I mean, the under was good and Weber State does what Weber State does and, and they make things ugly. And if they can't make it ugly, they're going to get beat on the road, which they probably will. Yeah. And I, I don't know how in the FCS quarterfinals and semifinals with the kind of road travel that you have and the kind of favorites that you have. I don't know how you go against the favorites at home with the way that the FCS playoffs are set up. So we'll talk more about that on Thursday. Yeah, Weber State, they did muck it up in true Weber State fashion. Block, punt for touchdown, turnovers, et cetera. Um, all right, let's talk about the one game on Saturday that we both got wrong. I actually ended up playing Army, a small, uh, you know, it was over 11. Uh, and I said, I'm going to play the smalls. It, it fell in line with my principles of how I bet triple option games. But, but Navy deserved to win that game, to cover that game. They had almost 400 yards of offense, 7.1 yards per play. Army, 2.8 yards per play. I didn't even get to 150 total yards of offense. That was a, a Navy game. For, it was funny because Army went up 7 nothing, And then I was like, all right. And then nothing. Yeah, it was from that point on, it was all Navy. The total goes under for the 14th straight year. Now, it got close, got to 38. Um, you needed one more field goal there, Con. I didn't pay attention to the game. You know, my, I knew my side was pretty much dead. You're, you're going to be better served to say if this deserved to go over or under. What were your thoughts? Yeah, so if you would have told me blindly, just if you had given me these two facts, Army would have had Army would have scored seven points on an 18-play drive on their second drive. And if you would have blindly told me that Navy was going to score 31, I would have bet my entire bankroll that the over would have hit over 40 or 41. If you'd have told me those two facts, I easily would have done it. There was a missed field goal by Navy early uh, in the middle of the game after having a seven-play drive, drove it down the field. Uh, there was an Army uh, interception. Uh, there was an Army fumble in Navy territory. Uh, and then Navy decided to kick a field goal. There was one minute left in the third quarter. Uh, and uh, Navy decided to kick a field goal. And I put out a stat for you guys. Now, notice that the number fell on 38, right? And instead of going for it and, and possibly getting a touchdown, you know, and they shorted themselves four points, which would have made the entire difference besides the missed field goal that happened earlier. I decided to tweet out that Navy was number one. I use cfbstats.com. I went back to 2009. That's as far back as their database goes. And Navy has the highest red zone touchdown percentage in the history of any team at 85.37. No one was even close. Most, most years, top team is 75%, 77%. But when Navy pulled up at the end of the third quarter and got to the 20, when Malcolm Perry got to the 20, and they decided to kick a field goal instead of going for a touchdown, that I believe that will knock their 85.37% down below a team that like finished higher than that in like 2011. So a lot of things went on with that field goal. The second that that field goal happened, I knew that we were skunked on the over and I knew that they were not going to be like the all-time red zone touchdown percentage team of all time because of that decision not to go for it. So it's interesting they didn't go for it. Why are you kicking field goals, you know, it, it, when you're up by so many scores? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, but, uh, you know, listen, 
14 times in a row stock this goes to the under, all that's going to do is create narrative for next year. And the odds makers are going to continue to lower this number because they're going to sucker so many people in. I'll be on the over next year. If these, if these teams are this good at finishing drives next year, I'm going to be on the over again next year. That score is going to create plenty of value on the Navy K state line. And considering that Chris Kleeman can shut down option offenses and he's seen his entire life. He knows how to coach again. He gets all this time to go up against and to, to plan for the Navy offense. I think it sets Kansas State up. I think there's going to be value on Kansas State here once, you know, because the public has their say in bowls and they can move lines. And once they get two or three days ahead of this game and they start looking back to see what Navy did against Army, I think it's completely going to give us value on K-State later on down the line. So we'll, we'll have much more on that in our bowl previews, which will start on Thursday. Bowls are coming, people. There should, be, there should have been one on this morning before NFL. There should be one tomorrow afternoon, Bahamas Bowl or something where BYU and some other team fight. Remember that? I mean, that's, that's what Monday afternoons are for. But, nope, we got to wait a little longer. But we're gonna, we'll are gonna we have our first part of a five-part bowl preview series. Same schedule. So we'll have episodes that come out. You know, we'll do one Thursday, come out on Friday. We'll cover, you know, seven to ten bowls or whatever chronologically is, is coming up for that weekend. And then we'll still have our episodes that come out Monday previewing other bowls. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's going to be on. <laughs> um, Army season is done. Navy, as you mentioned, has Kansas State. So we'll get to that bowl when the time comes. Um, all right. Before we get to NFL, we did, as I mentioned before, talk to Brody Miller. Uh, let's get to that now. Brody Miller of The Athletic. Thanks for joining us, Brody. How's everything going with you? Life's good for an LSU beat writer, right? <laughs> Everything's good. I'm currently in an Uber in Times Square covering the Heisman. So uh, no complaints here. How are you guys? Everything's going well here. Look, uh, I guess the first question where I'll start here is how confident were you about uh, LSU being the one when the college football playoff rankings came out? Not particularly. I'd say, I mean, I, I think I probably looked at it as like a 60% chance they'd, they'd take it. But I mean, it's tough because, I mean, the committee just had loved Ohio State so much all season and for good reason. I think I think anybody acting like any one side in this argument has an overwhelming case or that it should be obvious. They're, they're not watching all three of these teams because I think all three of these teams could, could be one seeds in a lot of past seasons. So, I mean, I wasn't overly confident, but because the hard part is you never know. You know, you, you know the committee has Ohio State won over LSU the week before, but you don't know by how much. You don't know if it's a wide margin or if it's close. But, I mean, for LSU to go out and dominate the way they did, the way they ended the last three weeks of the season with their defense looking so much better and all these things, you know, the one problem was are they complete? Well, they look more complete now. And then the other thing is they have so many high-profile wins, four wins in the top 13. They pretty much control all four of those games, may I add. That wasn't – 100% confident, but I did have a good feeling. Fair enough. Before I get to the college football playoff, um, you know, we have, we have two high-profile awards, I mean, and many more, but LSU in particular that struck a chord with me. One, Barrow Heisman. I mean, just seeing him give that speech, which I think touched a lot of people, but I just think this guy's a slam dunk pro. He's just a film junkie. I, I think I tweeted out, look, this guy hates, you could tell he just doesn't want to be, he just doesn't want to be interviewed. He wants to go in a film room and watch, <laughs> uh, you know, he's a D one coach's kid. that just loves football and, and everything I've seen on the field. I hope I'm, 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 a, I'm a Ravens fan. I hope he stays out of the AFC North. And then, so I wanted to ask you about that. And then the other one was Grant Delpit winning the Thorpe. <laughs> I didn't even think he was the best D back on his own team this year. That was crazy to me. Any thoughts on both of those? 
Yeah, I'll start with Delpit because it is funny. And I mean, I, when I say this, I want to be clear that a healthy Grant Delpit, I think, is one of the best defensive backs and that I've honestly seen. I mean, him, him in twenty eight, him in twenty eighteen was just incredible. But he would tell you himself. I mean, in terms of his productivity this season, I'd say he was the third best. Def- honestly, there's an argument to be made he's the fourth best defensive back on this team right now because <laughs> Derek Stingley's been an All American. Christian Fulton's completion percentage is like thirty five percent against him, and Jacoby Stevens basically has the numbers that Grant Delpit had last year so I, I really yeah, it's shocking but I think what you're learning from this is the Thor- I've heard some I heard one person who talked to some Thorpe committee people and they were saying basically like they realized they kind of screwed up last year because he wasn't even a finalist last year for the Thorpe so I think it was almost like a makeup situation which yeah. is just kind of sad how that works because I also think Stingley should have been a finalist this year and my guess is he's going to get a makeup next year but we'll see how that goes with Burrow okay I'm glad you said that about interviews because you nailed it I actually just wrote a big story that just published about an hour uh, an hour ago this morning about this whole weekend and the biggest takeaway from this weekend I've known this from covering him for two years but this weekend was all time he just doesn't love the media the problem is he's really good at the media and he's really engaging and he usually says some good stuff and he's good but he despises it he's kind of one of those those people who just wants to be you know locked in a film room studying film or working on timing with his receivers you know he he just doesn't he like he doesn't go out he only has been to like three places in Baton Rouge he likes the joke like he doesn't do much except football so I think this whole week of going from to Baltimore for the Unitas Award and then Atlanta for the College Football Awards and then now this for two days and this constant interviews and public events he's he's exhausted from this week and he admitted but to see him of all people kind of break down emotionally and and really get so emotional in that moment like that that was shocking and kind of cool for us to see because I mean I've talked I'm close I've, I've good relationship with his family members and they they will tell you he does not do that I mean the Burrow men in that family they don't they don't cry. They don't get emotional at all. So for him to get like that, that just shows you kind of how overwhelming this moment is. And I think it surprised even him. Yeah. By the way, as far as this, before we get to a potential Barrow Bowl uh, against Ohio State, you know, first there's Oklahoma. Um, is there anything in particular, and, you know, LSU is a 13-point favorite. Um, is there anything in particular that scares you about Oklahoma? Or do you think that if LSU just goes out there and executes that they should win this game comfortably? There's definitely one key thing, and it's Oklahoma's, you know, kind of, you know, the the run game, the counters and whatnot, because, you know, they're really good at getting their playmakers in open field on the perimeter with, like, Jalen Hurts. So, and that's the one thing we have seen LSU really struggle against. They have a great interior run defense, one of the best in the country. They're fantastic. But, when like, Ole Miss is obviously the game everyone's going to point to, but there's some other examples, too, of when teams can kind of, you know, neutralize the defensive line, get some guys on the edge a bit, and put the pressure on the, you know, one-on-one tackling situations with some of those safeties and open field, that's where you really see some some weaknesses here. So I think that's the big thing I'm looking for because nobody's better than Lincoln Riley at finding those openings. And Jalen Hurts is a much, much better version of John Reese Plumley. So I'm really really interested to see how LSU can contain that. I do think a big part of those early issues with the run game were was Grant Elpin not being healthy and some other depth issues that's kind of been fixed. But still, I still think that's probably allowing explosive plays is LSU's biggest problem. And Oklahoma is one of the more explosive teams in the country. But that's the only thing. Because everything else on top of that, I think LSU is dramatically better. I mean, even CeeDee Lamb, who I think might be the best receiver in college football, even over Jamar Chase, I still think, you know, LSU's corners are made to contain that. The entire defensive backfield can probably contain that. I'm not too worried about Hurts the passer. It's really the run game. But everything else, I think a 13-point a spread sounds about right. Now, the one thing you mentioned about was the, the LSU defense. Now, we saw a couple games in the middle of the season, you know, Ole Miss, Alabama. People said, oh, look at this LSU defense. There are some holes here and giving up explosive plays. 
but then, you know, towards the end of the season, it they really shored up their defense, and they were dominant over the last month of the year. Was, you know, some of that – do you think there's anything in particular that uh, – the why, were they healthier? Um, and then two-part question, the whole Dave Aranda situation, is, is that a, a potential distraction, or what are your thoughts there? I was shocked he was rumored to go to UNLV. I mean, I'd stay in Baton Rouge if that's coordinator over the UNLV head coach job, but money talks. But what are your thoughts on the defensive turnaround over the past month of the season? <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's really tricky. It's been one of the more confusing things for, you know, people who cover the team and even nationally, I think, for us to, to write about because, they're, like you said, there's stretches, you know, in certain games. I, I point to the second half of the Florida game or the Auburn game where just the defense overall looked great. And then there are those games, the Texas game, the even spots of the Vanderbilt game, and then obviously the Ole Miss game really highlights it where this defense just kind of looked helpless. I think there are a few things going on. I think one – I think there's a little bit of this is a team adjusting for the first time ever to being an up-tempo offense and kind of adjusting to that and learning what it's like to, you know, play, you know, more snaps and faster on the field more. Then you have, I think, part of the Grant Delpit thing, and there are a few other players on the team who are guilty of the same thing, a little bit of trying to make the big playism going on. And a lot of, you know, like, hey, the defense isn't playing well. Well, I'm going to fix it with this big play. And that led to more mistakes. And I think – they kind of get, they learned to get on. They ran to challenge the defense from what I heard and really got on them about that. Some of the leaders did too. And it was kind of just, just play team defense. And you'll look better, you know, things like that. But then I think the the biggest overall thing I really do think is the health of Grant Elfitt. I just think they, the problem was they were so thin at defensive back depth because like three guys transferred before the season that, you know, they, they couldn't rest Grant Elfitt because everyone was gone. They had no one else to play. And then he was playing through this injury and he wanted to play through it himself, but still it was a, it was a major problem on the back end. Now what happened is I think Mo Hampton kind of developed surprisingly as a true freshman at safety that opened them up because what Dave Aranda wants to do is he loves those three safety looks. He loves because when you have Delpit and Stevens, those are two basically linebacker safety hybrids. So when you have Hampton on the back end now, now you can experiment more with those three safety looks and actually get Stevens and Delpit in the box more, which is where they're most dangerous. And also where you're going to have the most, you know, the best advantage matching up with teams like in Oklahoma, for example, because you have more athletic hybrid guys to stop both the run and the pass. So I think once that happened, it really changed a lot. And then it also allowed Delpit to rest and now Delpit's healthy. So I think those, that combination of factors is the the big key there with, and then with the Aranda thing, it's, you know, it's surprising and it's not, I mean, it's always been this long game of, you know, what, what's Dave Aranda going to leave for? What does he want? And I've talked to some of his close, closest friends in coaching and they'll say, they have no idea what he wants. He's just kind of that kind of guy. He's not really he's kind of closed off. He's not really going to tell a lot of people what's on his mind. So when this all started, it was surprising, but it wasn't. And we, it just seems like he's getting the itch a little bit to leave. I was surprised to be that job. And I'm, I'm not surprised that it didn't end up happening. I just don't think the money makes sense for both him and for the assistant pool and all those things. But I really think, uh, you know, he, he's got his eye open for jobs and whether it be this year or next year, I don't think he's going to be here too much longer but in terms of distraction, I don't quite see it. It happened while everyone was away, you know, they had the week off. Dave's not really a dramatic guy, so I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue, but you never know. Yeah, yeah, and that defensive turnaround, which I think is real, and I do think Delpit's health has a lot to, lot to do with it, which you mentioned, mixed with the offense, which no one could stop, and the elite special teams, which not enough people talk about. That's the reason why I I think LSU is going to win it all, but – do you think that either Clemson or Ohio State – now, I know Ohio State would be – either one would be hype galore, but, Ohio, you know, Burrow versus Ohio State would be awesome. Uh, do you think either one of them presents a better matchup or a worse matchup, or do you think – you know, I mean, because the spread's about two, so 
they're evenly rated, but, but from a matchup perspective, do you think either one would ma- you know, be better or worse for LSU? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I talked to some LSU staffers who are in charge of kind of scouting ahead and looking at all the potential matchups and breaking it down. And, you know, the sense I got from them is they're a little more scared of Clemson than Ohio State. And, you know, I think it's telling that Clemson's a favorite over Ohio State. And I think that from what you're, from what the Action Network said, I think Clemson would have been an even bigger favorite against LSU. I think that's probably who they're mat- a little more worried about. I think a little more scared of Trevor Lawrence and, and Etienne than they are of, of Ohio State's offense. You know, Clemson's defense might not have a Chase Young type, but they view it as a, a more complete defense. So I don't know if there's any one – you know, matchup thing that jumps out about one thing that one team does better that really will isolate it. But I think they view Clemson as the, the better team that nobody realizes. Yeah. All right. Then two fun questions before we get you out of here. One is I'm, I, I'm recently moved to the South of Lexington, you know, two years ago, and <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out SEC fans because uh, they're very passionate and I love them, but sometimes they cheer for SEC in general and they chant SEC at the bars. So do you think a majority of Alabama fans uh, are rooting for LSU and the SEC or for Hertz and against LSU? <laughs> I do not. Ooh, I, I think they'll be rooting for Hertz in Oklahoma, no doubt about it. I, I think, one, LSU-Alabama is one of those rivalries where you're not going to see that SEC-SEC love thing. I think that's, that's more of a tribalism thing that you see sometimes when you're arguing with, like, a Big Ten fan or something like that and you want to show that, like, your competition's better. But I, I really – they're, they're, you would never see an LSU fan rooting for Alabama and vice versa, especially you add Hertz who did so much for Alabama and, and who, you know, is just such a beloved figure there and kind of how he was patient, took them, won the SC championship for him last year, even after being benched, all of that. I posed this to my, to my followers and some of my Alabama fans, a lot of them said, you know, Hertz, obviously Oklahoma, but some of them gave more nuanced answers. And, you know, they said, look, we want the <laughs> SEC to win it. Plus we don't think Oklahoma could win it all. And we hate Clemson and Ohio Ooh. State so much that we want the team that could beat them with the best chance to beat them to get to the championship. So some are thinking that's about this on deeper levels. <laughs> I was going to say, that's probably your more nuanced and rational SEC fan than you'll get on your, your average Twitter response. But I do, I do think you might see a small portion of that. But I bet that's the, that's the uh, nuanced minority. Uh, and look, before we get out your last question – um, you've been great as always. If you haven't checked out Brody's stuff, uh, make sure you do, and you can follow him on Twitter at Brody A. Miller. But last question, this is a betting podcast. If you had to guess, does this game end up, and no one hold him accountable, I'm asking him on the spot, does this game end up going over the total um, or under? Uh, the total's currently sitting at 76. Any feel there? Or do you think it's about right? I know, I've been – I've been trying to figure out a, a good response to this all week for other people ask me. It's, it's tough, but I think I go under there. That's just so massively high. I do have a, this weird gut feeling the run game will be kind of important here. So, I, I, I mean, not, not that – I mean, these are – now these are so up-tempo that uh, running might not matter, but I just kind of – my gut is leaning that way. I think the LSU defense actually thinks they, uh, they can control that Oklahoma offensive line with ease and whatnot, so – my gut says under, but I by no means feel confident about it. Yeah, and plus we have a couple of weeks to change our minds. But thanks again for joining us, Brody. And uh, make sure you check out all the stuff on The Athletic, and we'll talk to you sometime soon. Enjoy New York, brother. All right, take care, my man. Um, so, Colin, one of, the, one of the interesting things that I thought that of the many things that was a good interview, as always, with Brody, is, you know, I, I asked him when you were traveling, you wanted, this is one of the things that you wanted to ask him about the defensive resurgence of LSU. 
Brody mentioned that Grant Talbot's health you know, he is making a big difference. They shored up some tackling. I mentioned to him that, look, this is one of the reasons why I think LSU is going to win it all. You know, obviously they have the easier first game, which helps things. But I think that, you know, with their offense, no one has showed they could stop. Their defense now playing at a much higher level and shoring up some things in the back end. And then the one thing that people don't talk about is how good their special teams are. So now with all three phases, um, that's why I think LSU is eventually going to win it all. Well, first off, Brody's been money for us ever since the, you know, talking Texas game before the season, talking to us about Alabama. He's been uh, fantastic for the pod and his opinion matters a lot, especially when it comes to talking about the LSU defense. And that's the thing I've said all year long. I said, who is the defense that can win the national title? Because everybody, once you get to the playoff, everybody's got an explosive offense. No one is making it with a, you know, a snail and a slug offense. It's who can play the defense. Well, the two best defenses that I see that are coming into this are going to be Clemson and LSU. And it's going to be really hard to gauge LSU because of some of the numbers that they put up in the past. You're going to let those Vanderbilt numbers creep in. You're going to let the the boat race that was Alabama. Yeah, you're going to let Texas creep in there. And it's going to make them look worse in the way that they're actually playing. So I think what you have to do if they end up playing Clemson or Ohio State is you're going to have to go with a unit-by-unit breakdown from like how does the quarterback – compare with their safeties and their corners how's the wide receivers can the wide receivers overpower the corners I think that we've got to kind of throw out the overall stats for LSU and look at it by unit by unit uh and and hopefully that helps us with some prop odds for the national championship game but uh yeah absolutely I think LSU um got a real problem trying to get out of a an Oklahoma future that I've got but uh but I think LSU is legit and right now gun to the head LSU versus Clemson for the national title uh, I, I would take LSU to beat them, and 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 that's that that is a bold statement coming from a guy that's been on this Clemson train for a really long time. We both have pieces out there on the Action app and ActionNetwork.com on our early thoughts on the college football playoff market, um, and then just to update our listeners out there on what we are thinking and what the lines are. I mean, Clemson's still two point favorite uh, over under sixty three. I said before, you know, I made Clemson one and 59. So I don't know if I'll have a play on the total unless this goes back up. And I might think about Ohio State if this gets to three. Um, and then in, in the other game, we have uh, Oklahoma LSU. LSU's a 13-point favorite over under 76. I do think that this total is a tad high, but I don't know if I'm running to go bet an Oklahoma LSU <laughs> under. In regards to the side, I also think it's too high, but I'm waiting to see if I can get a 14. You know, we still have two weeks uh, before this game starts, I want to f- see if I can get a flat 14. Even though I love LSU, it just it comes down to the number. I think it's a tad high. Oklahoma is as good of a team as you can want in the country to go get you a backdoor if it, they're down 17 or even right. 21 for a push. So that's where I stand right now. Any updated thoughts from you on where these lines stand? Well, we probably need to have a question about how to address futures at some point because during, I mean, ever since last January, I only had a couple of national championship futures. The Georgia, those are out the door. I had an Oklahoma 30 to one that I, I've had DMs from people that were able to get that number two. I've got a Clemson number that's floating out there. And I, in the middle of the season, I took an Ohio State four to one. So I think at some point I'm going to talk about how to handle each one of those tickets throwing those all out from a futures perspective, as far as handling the game, I know we're going to have a ton of content 
and a ton of pieces on LSU and Oklahoma. And I will have money down pregame. I already do on Oklahoma at 14. Uh, I think if it's at 13 and a half and you can get a, you know, a cheap 13 and a half, maybe buy it up to 14. If you, if you got to take it in a pick and pool, I would take Oklahoma. The number's too high. It should be eight. Let me be honest with you guys. I mean, let me be straight up honest with you guys. Whatever I have on Oklahoma LSU, I will have at least that much and probably more live in game. I can see this total being up in the eighties and nineties. And if it gets really crazy up in the hundreds at some point where you can hit an under, I can see Oklahoma's live number being over 21. And you just got to ask yourself, what kind of player are you? Live limits are usually $500 on some sites, $1,000 on other sites. It can be risky trying to get those pushed in and punched in. So if you bet more than that, then live isn't the way for you to go. Uh, Maybe second half is the way for you to go. But Oklahoma LSU to me is going to be a much larger investment after kickoff than it is before. Now, with Clemson, Ohio State, nothing has changed my mind, Stock. I mean, I've I spent days, days trying to find out how, how Ohio State's going to beat Clemson, and I still haven't figured it out yet because I keep going back to the offensive line, and I keep looking at how the secondary has been torn up for Ohio State lately. So yeah, I, I, I will continue to dig, but right now it's all Clemson for me, and I've already hit the over in that game. I think it should be higher. I think it should be closer uh, above 67. So I would still suggest taking an over 63 there, although that is where the entire market is right now. All right. So that's your update on college. Um, we will have obviously much more in our bowl previews. Um, and then we have a ton of content up on actionnetwork.com and the action app. Um, all right, let's get to the NFL. We just got done watching, I think what you can call professional game? football. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, if you bet the NFL today, uh, I just hope you didn't get, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here reading this tweet from Burton about a nine, someone hit a nine team parlay with, the skins, excuse me, with the Eagles and the Falcons over. And, you know, they obviously scored on last second, you know, laterals and as time expired, meaningless touchdowns. I've been waiting. Is my Phil Collins moment? I've been waiting 17 years. You know, I've been betting longer. I, that's, I was in high school. That's really when I started betting every single weekend in football. I've never had one. And this guy's out here hitting a nine-team parlay with two of them in the same day. And I'm talking college or pro. I've never had one. Um, and I, you know, I, I had Notre Dame against Stan- I mean, I had Stanford against Notre Dame. It happened last month to me. Meanwhile, while this is, while this guy's hitting this 19 parlay, I'm losing UNC Greensboro plus two and a half on an 80 footer by NC State to win by three. Well, these kinds so, of things, these kinds of things are going to happen with almost every favorite in the morning at morning slate. Every every favorite at the noon slate, the first kickoff covers. I cannot wait till I hit my first one. I'm throwing a huge party. <laughs> Everyone that listens to this podcast is welcome. All right, so let's go through the scores here. We'll start on Thursday night. The Ravens beat the Jets 42-21. Lamar Magic continues. Uh, there was something that I saw here with the Ravens defense where, you know, they have three excellent corners now, but they don't have a true slot. Marlon Humphrey is one of the best outside corners in the NFL, but he's the only one on that team that can play slot. When they play a speedy slot, you know, like Crowder, he just couldn't keep up with him on these little underneath routes. It's something to watch, uh, you know, against an Edelman, against the Chiefs, something to keep in mind. I don't know what the Ravens are going to do to adjust because they have three true outside corners. Moving on to Sunday, let me see. Tampa beats Detroit 38-17. Jameis Winston was amazing. Once again, he threw a pick early and then just dominated. It didn't matter who was that receiver. Godwin go out hurt. You had Scotty Miller go out hurt. It didn't matter. Prashad Perryman. At three touchdowns, 113 yards. Winston throws for 458 yards and four touchdowns. The Bucks are rolling. They were rolling, in, and, they, and the Lions almost came back. I had the Lions uh, driving 
into Tampa territory late down seven. They threw a pick six, and that was all she wrote. Chiefs 23, Broncos three. The snow over, my favorite over. Oh, man. I mean, I had two overs today, the Texans and Titans and the Chiefs, Broncos, and I've never seen more interceptions at the one-yard line of my life. Let, let me sum it up for you. So Drew Locke throws an INT, right, into the end zone, and the refs whistle, like, you know, penalty, nah, Broncos, you get it back, and what does he do? He throws another <laughs> INT into the It was the most frustrating over game I've ever had in my life. But Chiefs were dominant in this game, winning by 20. Uh, Kelsey was dominant. Mahomes loves the snow. Chiefs put up over 400 yards of offense and close to seven yards per play. That's how many field goals they had, too. Horrible red zone defense. Uh, Mahomes even threw a pick at the one. Uh, but Chiefs win comfortably and covered the 10. Before the Texans beat the Titans 24-21, Ryan Tannethrill's winning streak is over. You know, this game could have went either way. There was some turnovers early. Uh, an unlucky, fluky turnover for Tennessee, uh, but the Texans pull it out 24-21. They take over first place in the division. Not over yet. These two teams will meet again, but Tennessee you know, plays the Saints next, so it's going to be an uphill battle for Vrabel's bunch. Uh, we'll get to the standings, updated standings after we go through each of these games. Uh, Giants win 36-20. Uh, Eli is now 500 for his career, so we'll see if he will never play again. The last two games, <laughs> he'll never uh, start again. <laughs> yeah, he's right at 500. They beat they beat the Dolphins 36-20 in just a, a game no one cares about. Seattle 30, Carolina 24. We'll get to it later, but the Seahawks, who win another one possession game, they are now the one seed in the NFC with a plus 24 scoring margin on the entire year. They win another one possession game. Kyle Allen was awful again. The Panthers continue their slide. Allen had three picks. And uh, the Seahawks pull out another one and somehow are the one seed. Eagles, 37. Close your ears. Skins, backers. Washington, 27. Uh, Philly comes back, scores late. You know, Sanders was awesome for Philly. Greg Ward catches the winning touchdown. And then just chaos ensues. And the Eagles return. Off. I mean, it's the only way they could have lost that game. You just go down. But the defender mm-hmm. barely got in and just ruin the day of anyone who backed the skins who were covering the entire game up until that point, especially if you had plus seven. And I had some skins plus seven light, so fun. So Philly gets it done. They move into first place temporarily because later in the day, Dallas absolutely smokes the Rams, 44-21. I said, look, I was Dallas my favorite play of the weekend. I said, Dallas just needs to clean up the little things. And then all of a sudden, they start by – kicking the ball to start the first half, and we're going to kick to start the second half. Then they kick it out of bounds when they do it. Luckily, it all got cleaned up. The Cowboys ended up rolling start to finish. And just listen, it's the overreactions in the NFL. Teams aren't as bad or as good as they appear one week or the other. The Rams all of a sudden weren't world beaters. The Cowboys were much better than their record. Now I'm sure everyone will want to jump off the Rams next weekend and jump back on to the Cowboys. But the Cowboys then, with that win, take over first place in the NFC East, even though they didn't need to win. It doesn't matter if you win in the NFC East because the division will come down to next weekend with the Cowboys and Eagles meeting. Uh, And finally, again, that means something in the NFC East. Let me cross off the rest of the early slate games. Packers got to cover thanks to three Bears turnovers there. I mean, Packers 21, Bears 13. The Bears had a path. The Bears Mm -hmm. had a path to a touchdown at the end, and they didn't pitch it. There's chaos going on, and you know, and the people were wondering why they weren't going after the ball at the end by the one. I mean, it was a forward lateral, and they, but they if they pitched it to Robinson, it was set up perfectly. 
for an absolute miracle at Lambeau before Mitch Trubisky, you know, throws an incomplete pass on the two-point conversion, but it would have been awesome. And Bears backers would have covered, and it would have just been another crazy cover on a wild NFL Sunday. But the Packers hold on. You know, yeah, they get another fortunate win in cover, but they're now the two-seat in the NFC. That's important for our future. I fulfilled my contractual obligation to mention my Packers future now. If things kind of hold steady the way that they're at, they're going to end up hosting more than likely a dome team in Lambeau during the divisional round. That's huge. Yeah, having that home game would be massive. I mean, I mean, there's still a shot they can get the one seat as well um, and have home field throughout, which would be even – it's going to be tough, but it's possible. New England also beat Cincy 34-13 in a laugher. It wasn't a laugher at halftime. I thought, what, did they finally get the sideline tape reviewed uh, at halftime? Like, what, the explosiveness came out for the Patriots. Yeah, it was tapped in 10 to his end of the half, and Cincy muffed the punt. New England went up 13-10, and then there was a bunch of turnovers. There was a pick six. The Patriots add another notch to their belt with a huge win over the uh, one-win Bengals. By the way, the Patriots are 2-3. and three against AFC, current AFC playoff teams coming into today. Those two wins were over the Steelers in week one and the Bills with Mac Barkley finishing the game. They lost to the Texans, Chiefs, and Ravens. Don't take anything from this game. I mean, nothing. Uh, Tom Brady was still looked really bad. Later, uh, the late slate, we'll get to them. Arizona beats the Browns 38-24. The Browns will not have a winning record this year. They will be the only team in the NFL to finish this decade without a winning record in any one season. Congratulations, Cleveland. You did it again. Cardinals win 38-24, and Brown's defense was bad. Coaching was bad. They look unprepared, and Arizona gets the win. Jacksonville, I had Oakland to close out a teaser, which was fun. Jacksonville comes back, the corpse of Jacksonville, somehow scores 14 points in the fourth quarter to win 20-16 to to spoil the Black Hole's final home game in Oakland. Gardner Minshew, Minshew Magic. With trash raining down on the field and Derek Carr getting booed, I'm not. I mean, with that was people with laser pointers being st- told laser to stop the crowd. Yeah, laser pointers. Uh, a fitting end to the Raiders' run in Oakland. Minnesota 39, Chargers 10. I have notes for this game. I take all my notes for all the games. My notes just say L E L O H E L O H E L O H. This game was a farce. Um, I think that the Chargers just fumbled again. I took nothing from this game. The total, the chart, the Vikings won 39 and 10. The yep. total yards were Chargers 345, Vikings 344. The yards per play, Chargers 5.7, Vikings 5.5. Total plays 62 and 61. <laughs> Four, five fumble. I think they had five lost fumbles, a bunch for touchdowns. I, the one which is hilarious, but the, the lineman ended up getting it somehow and running all the way for a touchdown. I've seen a lot of UMass and Akron football this year. It's truly been a long time since I've seen a box score with seven turnovers. A comedy of errors uh, that the Vikings benefited from. So I wouldn't take too much from that score. It was just the game was a circus. Um, and then I mentioned in the night slate, the Bills end up holding on to beat Duck Hodges, who threw four picks. Uh, they win by seven, 17-10 in a really ugly game. And the updated playoff standings, for those wondering, is we, we really have a lot of clarity on what the NFL playoffs are going to look like. Um, you know, there's a couple things that are left. We have the NFC East, obviously, to be determined. Either the, and that, and the game next week will go a long way in doing so, the Eagles-Cowboys. The winner of that game will host a playoff game, and they're either going to host, as of right now, they'd host the 49ers, because I didn't get to that game, by the way, because I wanted to get to it now, because the 49ers dropped from the one seed to the five seed because Kyle Shanahan, Mr. I love blowing leads with the Falcons, would, would, would refuse to run the ball on fourth and one. Fourth and one up two at the 25 with two minutes to go. 
Your identity is running the ball. You have five starters out on defense. You're most of your secondary. You're playing against Julio Jones, who you can't stop, and Matt Ryan, and you won't run a, for a yard. So they don't – they kick a field goal, which isn't even a gimme, 44-yard field goal, and Gold missed an extra point earlier in the day. They kick it, and then the karma, the football gods, come back and bite Kyle Shanahan as the Falcons score – on the last play of the game, nope, nope, not the last play of the game. One second left, and then the 49ers. 49ers in the laterals, man. The 49ers just decide to chuck it back towards the end, and of course the ball stays inbound, spins perfectly, and then um, the Falcons get another touchdown. They're second in the final two seconds to put the game over somehow. Yeah, an over that was dead in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, the 49ers drop from the one to the five, and the Seahawks move up to the one. The Seahawks have the one over the Packers, who are the two, they're both 11-3. and three. It comes down to common opponents. The Seahawks will play the 49ers, keep in mind. They already beat them. That's why they're the number one seed. They'll play each other in the final week of the season in Seattle, where we know how good Russell Wilson is. That will most likely determine the division. The Saints, who, and we'll get to their Monday night game, they played, you know, they have the Titans left. They have um, the Colts tomorrow night on Monday night. They can get to 11-3 and three if they win that game. So the top is still very much in flux. And then it looks like at the bottom, it's going to be the Vikings um, as the sixth seed. As of right now, it'll be Vikings at Saints, which would be awesome. But they're now two games ahead of the Rams uh, for the final wild card spot. And the Vikings do play their final two games at home, um, including one against the Packers next week. Um, so uh, that division certainly isn't over just yet. Um, but it doesn't look like – it looks like we have our teams, Eagles and Cowboys winner in the NFC, and then the top is just going to be determined. Week 17, Seahawks 49ers will go a long way as well in determining who's hosting. I mean, that game is now huge. This 49ers loss is mm-hmm. devastating for them because if they don't get – in the NFC, if you don't have a bye in how deep it is now, now you have 49ers, you're going to Dallas instead of sitting at home. And then if you win that, you know, you're going possibly to Green Bay the next week or to – Back so, to Seattle. Yeah, like – yeah. So instead, so this that it just puts the entire NFC picture uh, in flux. Um, in as far as the futures market is concerned, uh, I'm gonna have some thoughts on the AFC. Everything to me looks about right. From we'll see where prices come out. I don't think that there's a long shot worth taking. You know, you're not gonna get much value in the market with Dallas now. I don't see it with the Eagles' offense. I just don't think that they have enough offense to make a run in the NFC without a buy. Their net point differential is like six on the season. I mean, Dallas is like plus 90 and, and points four points against. So, it's, I mean, the Eagles' just offense just can't get it going. How do you expect them to make a run? And, and Peterson's taking a lot of heat. Like, it's just not there anymore. The play calling's not there. The execution on offense is just not there. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings, I still don't trust their defense fully. I like their defensive line, but their secondary, especially their corners. And, you know, when they're going to be going possibly against – Breeze and Wilson and Rodgers and Dak and, you know, the 49ers. Like, I don't think that they can win three games in a row to get to the Super Bowl with that defense. But they're a really good team. Everyone that's going to make the playoffs, besides potentially the Eagles, I think is a really good team. The Eagles could be, but injuries have killed them. So, I, I don't, I'm just sticking with my Packers future from the preseason in the NFC. I would look at the Cowboys because they're going to get a team in the Seahawks or the Niners that's going to be on a hangover, you know, and if it's the 49ers, they'll have travel up to Seattle, lose that game, have to travel down to Dallas. Dallas will more than likely end up being a dog of a point or two. I mean, they're going to be a dog of some sort. I doubt they'd be a favorite over, you know, the loser of that game. And so tend to think they would win that game and they would make themselves into the divisional round. I don't like the Saints position whatsoever because it seems like they're going to end up, you know, having to go 
to Green Bay and play outdoors. And with Kamara kind of banged up and, and the record of the Saints outdoors on the road, uh, I don't like that at all. So, I mean, I think you're sitting fine at the Packers. I mean, I can't think of any long shots here. I mean, there's no value in the Cowboys, and I don't think that the Eagles can beat them. So, uh, you know, the Cowboys are the one that I think could be the team that actually gets into the NFC title game uh, just because of the great situation they're going to be in hosting the five seed. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have the offense for it. They just need to clean up the little things. Don't say kick, say defer. Don't kick it out of bounds. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason Garrett, don't mess it up. Their offense is there. The offensive line is there. I mean, they just came out and bullied the Rams today from start to finish. There's some, still some questions on the defense, but the talent is certainly there with the Cowboys. And, you know, if they're in, they're hosting their first playoff game, as you alluded to. You don't know, you know, think they heard Troy Aikman talk about how uh, there's rumors flying out about how their roster is completely overrated? I heard that sound bit this week, and I thought, boy, is this going to fire the Cowboys up this weekend against the Rams? Yeah, they came out. You got to give the Cowboys credit. They came out fired up and remained fired up throughout the game. All right, so let's move on to the AFC, which looks – it's a little clear. You have the Ravens sitting at 12-2. and two. Um, and they will play the Browns this weekend. I'll be there in Cleveland. Um, and then they will close out the season at home against the Steelers. Steelers are going to be Ravens fans this week because if the Ravens win this weekend, they clinch the one seed, they clinch home field throughout, and they could rest everyone in week 17 when the Steelers might need to win. Uh, but it looks like the Ravens will have home field throughout because they're one game ahead of the Patriots. They've already beat the Patriots. The Patriots are sitting at 11-3. and three. Division's still not clinched. Uh, because they will, they're one game ahead of the Bills, and those two teams will play each other in Foxborough next weekend. It's a great weekend in the NFL next week. Uh, the Bills currently hold the first wild card spot over the Steelers. The Bills have locked up a playoff spot, and they've got the ten wins for the first time since 1999. So, congratulations to the Bills. The Bills make me wanna Shout. kick your heels up and Shout. throw your hands up and Shout. throw your head back and Shout. come on now. The Bills are making it happen now. The Bills, the Seahawks, the Packers, the 49ers, all of you clinched playoff spots today. And then the Texas, the Chiefs are sitting at the three seed. Remember, they beat the Patriots. So they could easily, you know, if the Bills beat the Patriots, you know, the Chiefs could still sneak up and get a one or two seed. So that's still up in the air. But as of right now, the Chiefs would host the Steelers, who are the sixth seed, even though they're tied with the Titans. And then you have the Colts are at six and seven. It, they have about a 1% chance of making the playoffs. It doesn't look like the Colts are in. So the Titans are going to need help from the Steelers. But as of right now, the Chiefs would host the Steelers and the Texans would host the Bills in the AFC. Talk about a lot less appetizing first weekend options compared to the NFC. In regard to this futures market, look, there's no value left on the Ravens. I mentioned this potential weakness. First of all, they're so healthy. So knock on wood, but that's part of the reason why a lot of teams are able to win a Super Bowl. Part of it is health luck, right? You have to stay healthy. Your quarterback has to stay healthy. But they, I also mentioned that weakness on the, on the, in the slot, which could come up in the AFC. And the biggest thing to me, though, is you see, I mention this every week on NFL podcast. The biggest advantage that the Ravens have, their special teams are obviously great, even though they had a bad game on Thursday. Their defense is really good, but they're, and then Lamar and their unique offense, their offensive line, they shock teams, right? So they come out, teams aren't used to Lamar's speed, they're not used to seeing this offense, and they get out and they get a lead. And then what, what does that do? They're able to then blitz everyone, play man up on the outside, play aggressive. You know, teams can't run it as much, which might be the Ravens' weakness up the middle. You know, they, then they can just run the ball and just let Lamar do his thing. Well, you know, t- Lamar is still spectacular throughout the whole game, but then teams are a little better at containing him and trying to adjust his speed. Well, all, all these teams in the AFC, whether it be the Steelers, who've seen the Ravens, so we'll see the Ravens twice. 
The Texans have seen the Ravens. The Chiefs have seen the Ravens. The Patriots have seen the Ravens. It happened last year with the Chargers, the second time around when they saw Lamar Jackson and they saw this offense and they were able to prepare for it. You know, they completely shut him down. Now, Lamar is much more accurate now, and the Ravens have evolved as an offense. Their defense is better. But I'm just saying it will be of the benefit of these teams that could potentially see a Ravens team the second time in the postseason. So I don't see any value in the Ravens um, to make the playoffs to the team. I'm, and I still – this Patriots offense still don't see it. Right. And it just showed us against the really good teams that they're – it's just not there. Now, they could find it, but I haven't seen anything worth backing with their prices in the futures market. Can the Bills and Josh Allen make a run through the FC? No, I don't think so. Um, he, Josh Allen is remarkably, remarkably improved. Uh, and Duck Hodges is not going through the AFC as well. I don't believe in the Texans' defense. So, you know, who's that leave by default? The Chiefs. Yeah. Um, I think that if a team is going to beat the Ravens this year, they've seen them before. Their run defense is really bad. But the Chiefs, Mahomes is going to score on that Ravens defense. And, you know, he doesn't mind going outdoors in the weather. He showed that. And they might, they'll probably have to go to Baltimore. So if you're looking for a future, I'd potentially look at the Chiefs here. That's the other team that I could see coming out of the AFC. And a very top-heavy AFC. And I just don't believe in this Patriots offense right now. Yeah, I was going to completely back you up on the Chiefs because, I mean, if you go and look at their advanced stats, you know, they were 13th in defense on football outsiders coming into this week, but they faced the number one schedule of offenses in the entire league. So that does kind of affect the numbers a little bit. Stuck's right. They're 30th in the NFL on rush defense, but they're sixth against the pass defenses. Six best pass defense in the league. I mean, they can't defend the rush whatsoever, but, you know, when you have Patty Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, uh, he cleared concussion protocol today. Uh, so I know that he was injured and came out of the game, but it looks like he's, he's going to be just fine. Uh, no missed time. So I, I think Stuck's right. I think Chiefs are the way that you got to look, especially with the defense. It's one of the best in the league. You know, I'm not saying they can catch Lamar, but uh, at least that their pass defense can baby hold serve. Um, we'll have much more on that on the NFL podcast, which will be out on Thursday. We'll be previewing the entire week 16 slate. I don't know where the time has gone. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk Monday night football. Um, we have the Saints hosting the Colts, who have a, a very, very, very outside shot at the playoffs, but it looks dire. The Saints are currently sitting as a you know, nine, nine and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. Uh, over under here is sitting at 46 and a half ish. Um, you might be able, you know, it's, uh, there's a couple different prices out there, but around 46 and a half, I think was consensus. Um, look, the Saints is, are, uh, you should, this crowd should be lively. Um, you know, Saints in prime time. This game's huge for them. They're sitting at 10 and three. They want the buy. They want home field. Um, so you should see a really fired up Saints team. But the offense is just, you know, obviously you have Michael Thomas, who no one can cover. Um, Jared Cook is starting to get a little more chemistry and feel for this offense. But the offensive line is still banged up. Uh, Kamara, as you alluded to before, he's just not, I just don't, he's not fully healthy. He's not, everything doesn't look the same with Kamara as it did, or Kamara as it did last year and this, this so the Saints offense it's really methodical and slow it's not that explosive you don't really trust their other receivers on the outside um, but you know they should be able to throw it underneath which they like to do Breeze gets rid of the ball as quick as anyone in the NFL so I think that they will have some success moving the ball uh, but it's not the most explosive offense world. on the other side of the ball the Saints defense has some injuries in, up front uh, in their front seven and the Colts what they want to do is run the ball 
Um, and I think that they can have some success running the ball here. Um, this team is chippy. They, you know, cover when you don't think they're going to cover. They and then they don't when you do. Um, you know, it's. I, I think that they could have some. If this line gets to ten, I think there's a tad bit of value on the Colts um, as a dog. I think they'll be able to move the ball on the ground. I don't think that they can potentially win this game, um, but I, it, it just feels like this game is going to be close. Even though I make the line right around here, but if it gets to ten. I think the Colts are worth a look. Um, what are you seeing in this game? I, I think you're spot on. And uh, for me, the question is, am I going to take the Colts full game or am I going to take them in the first half? Because, I mean, they've only won one of their last six games. And in some of those games, like I think four of those games have been like within like less than seven, like within three points. And a couple yeah, of those games. Kicker, they could have won a, a bunch of them. Like, oh, yeah. They've had a couple. I mean, they've had a couple of games where they've had extremely comfortable leads. Uh, so, I mean, they're playing hard still there. And, and, you know, they've only not covered on the road once this year as to where uh you know the saints i think are what three and four against the spread at home so they're kind of you know a little they're below 500 and, and really where the saints have shined is against the spread on the road where i think they're five and one against the spread so uh you know it's definitely a, a thing where i like indy they know that their entire season is on the line i think that gives max effort uh in the first half and over this you know streak of last six games where they've only won one game they've played outstanding in the first half and they've just had some of the craziest, I mean, the blocked the blocked field goal for a touchdown by the Titans a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they just had some crazy things happen to them. Well, you should have beat the Steelers if Finitary didn't kick a field goal to Philadelphia. from Exactly. Pittsburgh. Exactly. So I think Indy's going to play max effort in the first half considering their season is on the line here and they need help. Uh, and, you know, I, I just, you know, the, at the pace that they play, the number is probably a little bit larger than usual because they, you know, they don't, they're not really a high prolific, uh, high pace offense. So to me, it's going to be a decision before game time, whether I play Colts in the first half, play in full game, or I play both just in a half unit apiece. You know, the other thing to mention that is a little worrisome with the, with the Colts is T.Y. Hilton might play. And if he does, it's, apparently he's not going to be limited. That's huge. They need him on the outside as weapon. So keep an eye on that, but they're secondary. You know, Jameis Winston threw for, I think, close to 500 yards against them when – and Pierre this, this year is, is – this is questionable. But more importantly, it doesn't look like Kenny Moore is going to play. And that's really important because he when – they, when they go three corners, he'll line up in the slot. And Michael Thomas, if they put him in the slot, they've been using, you know, the safety Roland Milligan they were using to replace him. That's not good because not only is Moore great in the slot and out in coverage, he's great against the run and coming up and defending the run. So – his loss, um, that'll hurt. But like you said, this team is scrappy and could have won. I mean, Colts fans don't want to hear about that Pittsburgh game, but if Vinatieri makes that field goal or if you didn't have Vinatieri as your kicker because you should have known before that the Vinatieri should be your kicker, you win that game, you're sitting at 7-6, and six, and the Steelers are sitting at 7-6, and six, and um, or the Steelers are sitting at 8-6. and six. You're one game behind them with a win over them. Um, but now you're two games behind, and that's just the one game. I mean, the Titans, they were kicking a field goal, got it blocked, returned for a touchdown. They could have easily won that game. So this team has been scrappy. Um, uh, I think they can hang here. There's some things to worry about on their defense and their secondary, um, which I think that they're going to have to scheme for. Uh, But I do like this staff. It's one of the best staffs in the NFL, I think, uh, which is why you see them win games like they did at Kansas City when they were completely undermanned. So I think the look is the, Col- the Colts here. We'll have a preview up on actionnetwork.com and the Action app. Um, but is, get, get the 10. 
I, if, I think if you can't get the 10 full game, maybe look first half, as Collins said, uh, or maybe look to grab them live if the Saints come down and score right away, um, which is what I did with the uh, Falcons today. They, you know, they get a touchdown right away, you know, sometime in the first quarter, pop 14 and a half, and then they scored and you'll never, you never see that number again. So mm-hmm. that could be an option as well. Um, all right. Um, before we get out of here, well, a couple of things to plug, by the way, if you leave a review, um, on the app and you mention the words fan laterals, um, then, uh, you're going to be in the running for one of the chargers that I bought. There's like these sick portable chargers. I was tweeting about them over the weekend. I'll send you one. I'll get your info, but leave a review and mention that. Do you want to mention bold confidence stuff? Yeah, we're going to have a bold confidence piece, uh, come out. I, I know each one of us are going to put them out. Uh, my piece is going to be not only against the spread, but it's also going to be a straight up bull confidence piece where you put points behind the team that you take. So there's going to be two different types of strategy that go with those. Uh, that'll be out in the middle of this week. Definitely give you plenty of time, at least 48 hours to, to get your bowl confidence pools filled out and uh, turned in. We'll also have a contest on the app and we'll have a prize for the winner, maybe the top three or something. Uh, I still don't know the exact details. I don't know if it's, it's not going to be confidence related. It's basically just going to be like maybe all the against the spread or maybe 15 or 20. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'll be run by Colin and I. You just log onto the app and join for free. So we'll have something there. We'll have much more on that. We'll be tweeting about it. We'll have an article about it as well. Uh, so keep your eyes out for that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. If you were on the either side of those horrible beats today in the NFL, Forget about it. Move on. There's nothing you can do about it now. Next week is a new week and bowls are coming. Uh, So thanks again for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. You know the deal. And we'll catch you all later in the week. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.